usually I try to have us talking about something funny when we're starting out. I should have had a joke here. You need to write a, write like a cold open kind of. Sounds like a lot of effort. <laughs> um, it does, probably. I think we can probably just go for it. I think probably so. So welcome to Sanity Check, a podcast about staying informed and sane in Trump world. I'm Ben, and I'm joined today by Mike. Hi. The two of us. We are recording on the evening of Wednesday, February 22nd. Today is day 34 of the resistance. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. So we were going to start off with a different approach this week, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, we're going to name our favorite positive headline and, and then our most reviled negative headline from the week. In there, terms there's of, more to choose from in the latter category. Yeah. So for me, uh, the most positive development was McMaster getting selected to be the new uh, national security advisor to replace Flynn. That seemed like a really good development. And then I think that the guidance to stop protecting transgender students is is really fresh in my mind as a negative thing because of, you know. I think it's a strong choice. <laughs> well, it's so bad. Okay, this is supposed to be quick, though, so I won't dive into why it's so bad. Plus, okay. it's obvious. But so what, what What was it for you? I think I'll go with the um, with the, the reports and the start of enacting uh, mass deportation. Um, I yeah, found that, that to terrible. be highly objectionable for a variety of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, on the bright side, I thought it was really cool that NASA announced today that they had found these seven planets relatively close by that are very Earth-like and uh, are our best shot at possibly finding um, life out, out there. I thought that was cool. That is legit. Um, okay, so, you know, hopefully everyone enjoyed that, that new approach to the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of, we're, we're looking for a way to uh, to warm ourselves up before just diving down into the detritus and yeah. and cesspool that is uh that is the the previous week okay. what are we gonna okay. so i think we should start with our two bad topics so um the most the most recent news was the uh, renewed battle over transgendered student rights and um it's a pretty unpleasant story and i'll, I'll let mike take it from there yeah so um this like just happened, or I just read about this. Um, the news story goes: the Trump administration on Wednesday night withdrew Obama-era guidance on transgender bathroom use in public schools. So, it seems that under the Obama administration, there was guidance that students should be allowed to use the bathroom that aligned with their gender identity, and the Trump administration has withdrawn those guidelines. And you know, I, that just seems. I think the thing that bugs me about it is that it's so cruel. You know, this it, this isn't an petty. issue that is... I don't see that there are two sides to this issue. I don't see that anyone's being harmed. These are, you know, children in, a, in schools who are... And that's a hard enough environment. And this just seems... It's like kicking a puppy or something. You know, there, there's no you, justification you for it. You can't even make the spurious argument that there are 
you know, adult transgendered people who are trying to creep on. Plus, if you're a creep who's going to wander off the street into a school, you're not going to be like, oh, well, I'm not, I shouldn't go into the woman's bathroom. That would be wrong. Like, but I mean, like you're it, saying, the it whole seems thing a little serious. excessive to think that, you know, like a, a high a male high school student would come out as transgendered so he could go change in the girls' locker room. Well, for me, the the conservative, you know, objection to to these policies is always so much more revealing about the person objecting. Oh, definitely. Like Mike Huckabee, um, that he's the one I remember, where, you know, he said, you know, sure, if I could go back in time and, like, say I was a girl and go look at all the naked girls in the locker room who like who wouldn't do that and i was like most people would not do that you're like that's a gross thing that you would want to do and he's a reverend (laughs) right i'm trying to find his quote because it's so gross oh yeah this is from 2015 um Okay, so Mike Huckabee says, Now I wish that someone told me that when I was in high school that I could have felt like a woman when it came time to take showers in P.E. I'm pretty sure that I would have found my feminine side and said, Coach, I think I'd rather shower with the girls today. Gross, right? I mean, that's gross. That's that is gross. gross. I, I also don't think it's true. I mean, uh, he would have had to uh, wear women's clothing and act as if he identified as a woman and but it's just it, it, and it's take his clothes off in the shower and so it on. exists and none of these things are that he would have done in like the gross fever swamps of these old conservative men's minds like there's nowhere nowhere out in the real world is this happening this is a issue of a student who is transgender trying to live as best they can in the already miserable environment of high school and this is the trump administration just taking away something that was, you know, I mean, I mean literally, has there ever been a reported case of a person posing as a transgendered person in order to spy on people of the opposite sex? I, I, I mean, I <laughs> don't know in a, in, a, in a criminal way. I, I you have know, never the heard world of is a thing. big place, and I think it, it may have happened. Even if something like that photos. happened, that still to me wouldn't. Um, you know, I, I think there's a whole bunch of fallacies happening. And if the scenario is that someone is going to try to creep on someone in the bathroom, then that person is going to do that. Wh- whether you say they're allowed to use the bathroom of their gender identity or not. I would attempt to agree. And there probably are easier ways to do it. There was a movie to... about this. Wasn't this what Porky's was about? <laughs> well, I think there have been a number of... Um... Uh, pretty much every movie ever about a kid's summer camp involved yep. like drilling a hole in the yep. wall so that you could spy on the girls, right? And so those are not right things for people to do. No, of course not. But they're also not things that would be at all affected or changed by this issue. And they're also not things that Mike Huckabee would get upset about. He would just say boys are being boys. Um Oh well, the other part of this story that we didn't even mention is just the the internal machinations of how this happened, which is that it oh, turns yeah. out that you, in order to change the guidance, the Secretary of Education had to be the person to do it, and uh, Jeff Sessions, the new Attorney General, is the one who approached Betsy DeVos, the extremely incompetent, unqualified new Secretary of Education, 
and asked her to do this, and she made it pretty clear that she was actually not comfortable doing that, which is surprising, but... I don't find it that surprising. I mean... But go on. Well, I mean, just, you know, she she has super Christian values, and um, transgender rights don't often align with those. So it surprised me that she was in favor of uh, of keeping the Obama-era guidelines, but um, she apparently, according to the reporting, was faced with the choice of resigning and or being fired by Trump, who agreed with Attorney General Sessions on this matter or going along with it, and so in the end she went along with it. You know, I mean... First of all, I wonder if that's how it's being portrayed. If it's like a good cop, bad cop thing. Like she's already having such a tough time that it's possible that they were like, "Okay, well, we'll let you. (laughs) Well, Jeff Sessions can take the heat on this one." But also, like, this has nothing to do with privatizing education. That's what I mean. It's just so extraneous to any. You know, Betsy DeVos wants to ruin kids' lives by making their educations worse and forcing them into shitty charter and parochial schools and don't forget um removing all educational opportunity from disabled children yeah right and so she's got a whole bunch of terrible things but i think it it's possible it seems possible to me that if they were like hey we got to do this she would be like what like is this <laughs> why is this it's the first thing we're gonna do is this why don't you know it seems so strange it seems venomous and you know. she may also feel that she shouldn't have to do what jeff sessions tells her since she's donated a lot of money to him so that's such a gross subtext or like b plot to her confirmation the fact that she basically bought that job i mean millions and millions of dollars yeah just to the senators who confirmed her and that's not even counting previous ones um so Let's move from that to the fact that we have begun to codify uh, the process of rounding up and deporting uh, lots of people from the country. Oh my God! This, this probably, if I were, if I took the time element away and tried to be objective, this would probably be the worst thing because there are eleven million undocumented immigrants in this country and it's getting more and more clear that they mean to actually try to deport all of them yes i think the the people who tried to say to us take trump seriously but not literally were not correct no i mean this was what masha gessen said in her in that essay that i think of you know for me it was sort of the foundational article that I try to use to live by now which is and one of her rules for dealing with authoritarians is believe the dictator yeah you know they're going to tell you what they want to do and you're going to say oh that's ridiculous but they're not lying and they're not kidding and they want to do it and they're going to do it well and in the case of Trump I think he is such a simple fellow if you will that there's no reason not to take him literally because I don't think that he's trying to get anything past you so just a, a few points on this. Yeah, so it, it, apparently there is a an executive order or a memo draft floating around. Um, I'm not sure, sure exactly who got their hands on it, but there have been reports 
that Trump has suggested that the National Guard be called in to be used essentially as the deportation force that he talked about so frequently during the primaries. Um, and in terms of things that have actually happened, uh, the Trump administration has started codifying and changing the rules on the way that um, ICE can deport people. So one of the biggest changes has been in the way that expedite, expedited deportation works. So I guess no, normally, you know, if you had been in the country for a while, you couldn't just be rounded up and tossed out all in one fell swoop. There was a certain amount of... You could go through a process, but it would involve going to court, getting having a lawyer, having an opportunity to contest the decision. So that was the old way. Which we could certainly argue was not perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than what we're getting now, um, which is that... so the Which the is that, uh, expedited... The, Right, and so the the rule for expedited deporting previously was that you had to have been in the country for fewer than 15 days, I believe, and you had to be within 100 miles of the border. So it was really intended for if you were caught crossing the border, then you could be returned, which I suppose makes a certain amount of sense from a certain point of view. Um, now expedited deportation will be allowed at any time in any timeline and anywhere in the country which seems rather draconian it, well then, as always with this illegal immigration stuff i find it really helpful to sort of think about it in terms of examples of a real person you know so like like a person who might have had several children sure or a person who has a job and has been working paying and, taxes you know a person who's part of their community a person who you know and under the old system, I, you, I mean, you know, I'm, I believe in a pretty open approach to immigration. I basically believe if people want to come in and be here, that, that's, that we should let them. Um, and certainly refugees, I and mean, that's a whole different Sure, issue. but like, yeah. but, you know, I, 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 ha I understand the argument that there is a law that exists and we should try to follow it. And the old process, I mean, Obama was deported a lot of people. And, and I tend to think of deportation as a, it's so disruptive and it has so many negative consequences for the people it happens to that I, I usually don't think of it as being a good solution. Of course, there are exceptions. Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if we're talking about going after hardened criminal gangs, sure. who also happen to Murderers. be illegal immigrants, yeah. then sure, <laughs> go 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 for it. But if we're talking about the family of four or five and separating parents from their children after 20 years in the country where they've Well, been... are these, these stories of where they will they'd like go to people's sports practices and like right. get them or and, the and woman that their, they got their at their the seven-year-old children yeah. just on the field. Yeah. Or the woman who was going to get, try to get help with her abusive spouse and instead she got picked up by ICE. And ICE used evidence from the abuser. Yeah, and this is another part of it, which is cops need cops can be most effective at preventing actual crimes when the communities work with them. And so by doing stuff like that, they teach everybody in that community never to involve the cops. Yeah. So among other fun new parts of of our laws we're not even necessarily going to deport people back to where they came from 
I mean, this is crazy. So apparently, um, we are going to allow, I don't know if in all circumstances or in, in some circumstances, it wasn't entirely clear to me, um, but it will be allowed to deport undocumented immigrants to the nearest border, which in almost all cases will be Mexico. There's just a total disregard to, to these individuals as human beings. Well, it's also hypocritical if if you're saying that you know we cannot tolerate these immigrants because they're breaking the law, so we are then going to dump them into another country where they might also be illegal immigrants, but we're just not, you know, who cares? Because now it's their problem. Um, but uh, the, other, the other thing on illegal immigration is that um, I read an article today that pointed out that there isn't really an illegal immigration problem. This is Noah Smith writing in Bloomberg, and I want to read you his conclusion. He writes... The U.S. shouldn't succumb to the urge to enact draconian policies. The possibility of a police state poses a far greater danger to the average American than the imagined threat of immigration. The Democrats' policy of resisting overreaction and sticking to the status quo doesn't represent a lack of vision. It represents a sensible, prudent refusal to overreact to an imaginary crisis. And I think that's basically true. Yeah, stability is a good thing. Well, in tying this together, you know, so we've talked so far about the transgender bathroom, uh, the withdrawing support for transgender students. We've talked about the immigration. I was thinking about what sort of ties that together, and I thought about this article um, Dylan Matthews wrote on on Vox, and it was he writes about this thinker named uh, her name was Judith Schlar, and it's about her work. She was a refugee from the Holocaust, and um, so I just want to read a little bit of this. Some political philosophers like to theorize about what goods government should try to promote, the things that are best in life, like freedom and happiness and dignity that should be maximized. Schlar devoted her life to considering the bads government should avoid and fight. She sought to identify an ultimate evil, which all of us know and would avoid if only we could. And she identified that ultimate evil as cruelty. And I think I think about that a lot because that's, all of these things are notable for their cruelty. You know, yeah, it was noticeable that there was a, a study that came out this week that linked the enactment of nationwide same-sex marriage to a sharp decrease in the uh, teen suicide rate. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so I mean, I also think that the that the LGBT, you know, there's been a really good effort in that in all of those communities at use at using solidarity mm-hmm. so you know i think there's a direct relationship between the progress in the gay and lesbian acceptance and they that has also helped people who are transgender oh definitely and honestly i feel like <laughs> there was a news story a local news story about transgender up here which was sort of really adorable because it it was <laughs> You know, it was like, what is transgender? You know, and, and like, um, but it was very like sensitive. And, and I, the tone of it was just like, this is a thing that some people deal with. And we should be aware of that and, and be supportive. And, I, you know, so it ended up. Well, and, and there are all, probably a lot of communities where there are people who have really never thought about such matters. So 
uh, sort of a public right. service. It's uh, it's good. I think one of the the biggest things that has moved um, gay rights forward is just as, as as gay people have been much more open. Yeah, I mean the gay community has been. I mean, first of all, it's not monolithic, but there have been concerted efforts over decades to get more for to make people aware that this community exists and it mm-hmm. deserves respect and it needs to be taken with you know, taken seriously and treated with care and they've been successful you know you remember act up yep of course which that sort of gets into the whole you know they were told too to like you know quiet down and be more patient ah we, I, we didn't talk about this but there was that article in the new york times about how liberals are so mean to Trump supporters and that's why they're Trump supporters and we should right. be nice to them. I thought that be, article was really dumb. Well, it's total insane bullshit and it yeah. but it's classic New York Times like Oh, sure. You know, it's like that Mark Lilla I yes. I put it in that same category of like a completely wrong-headed <laughs> analysis. Um But you know, I think of that as that sort of tone police approach where you're like, "Oh, don't be so strident." But in fact, if yeah. you look at it historically, the only thing that ever really works is being really strident. Yeah, it's also, um, I think it makes a big difference if you're being strident and you're correct. <laughs> Someone who taught me a lot about tone and tone policing was this uh, this woman named Mickey Kendall. I don't know if you follow her on Twitter or you follow her writing. I feel like she really helped me understand that tone policing it can almost always be completely ignored. Like when people say, oh, you should say that in a different way, you should just ignore that because they're not trying to help you. They're not on your side. They're not no. trying to, to, they're not, I'm trying and to I, find I say this. this as a rather shrill and whiny person myself. You know, shrill, I feel like people call women shrill. Like they're yeah. sort of, I mean, women get a raw deal. That's, they do. That's for sure. True. Um, it was she, like, you know, H- Hillary was a, a oh shrill woman, right? I know I'm not... Sp- <laughs> we won't, we, we're not going to well, go no. down that road, but... But I will just point out that it, it, it is on this topic that people policed Hillary's tone mercilessly. Yes. And to the point where, like, if you drew a Venn diagram of, like, all the things she had to avoid, there was no place for her to be. She couldn't... She really couldn't win. No. And so, you know, if she laughed, then she was cackling. Mm-hmm. And if she was serious, then she was cold and distant. And if she made policy prescriptions, she was being too motherly. And, you know, there was just no safe place for her to exist in terms of her tone and the way she approached things. No, she was really literally in a situation where she couldn't win, both figuratively and unfortunately literally. Well, yeah, except, you know, about how all those more people uh, voted for her. Those were all people from Massachusetts who had flown in from California and then taken buses to New Hampshire. So, you know, uh, okay, actually, this is a fantastic... You're setting up a great segue because that claim that a bunch of voters came from Massachusetts into New Hampshire, which is insanity, um, fits into something... I feel like Trump is... I feel like it's not working out the way he imagined it would. Yeah, well, I mean, this is getting into... There was a, a, that piece in Fox today by the by their editor, Ezra Klein. And Ezra Klein, who I, I generally like, but he... You know, first he wrote a piece about how 
uh, Trump was really dangerous because he was uh, a winning autocrat. And then today he said that he had received some emails that had persuaded him that he had been previously wrong and that Trump was much more dangerous when he was losing as he currently was because then Trump got really angry like the Incredible Hulk and lashed out a lot. Um, to which my reply was, so like, what do you want? I mean, you prefer him to be succeeding in his autocratic uh, tactics? But I mean, yes, it, it is true that when when Trump is not getting what he feels he deserves, which is constant adulation and uh, reaffirmation of his worldview, then he gets really angry, and because he's incapable of self-criticism, he has to lash out at at other people. Um, and I think that's what we saw with that press conference last week and his need to go back on the road and go into campaign mode in Florida to soak up the love from the crowd. And um, I don't know that it really manifests itself in terms of policy because I don't know how much connection he actually has to policy. Um, so that I, that was one of the issues that I took with, with Ezra's piece. But, um, but there, there were some good points. Might take sometimes he falls into a little bit of the tone policey. Oh, he definitely does. thing too, and I and, and I and sort of see a little bit of that there, where you know, but more strongly than that, one of the frames I think about a lot of these things with Trump in is this frame of abuser logic, mm-hmm. um, where it's it's the logic of well, like to use a specific example, you know, in a domestic violence situation. And if you have a husband who's being domestically violent toward his wife, in his mind, it's always her fault, you know, and and there's this logic that causes and and that kind of connects to the tone policing thing. And, and, you know, so this New York Times article is like, oh, but couldn't you just be nicer? And when people say stuff like that, all I hear them saying is that abuser logic is them being like, look, he's he is the way he is and we have to cater to him. Why, Why do you make me have to hurt you? Yeah, which and, you know. I, he seems he sort of drips with that attitude to me. I mean, he doesn't say stuff at quite as explicitly as like you know, don't make me hurt you, but it's it it's there. Under- he actually says, "Wouldn't it be great if we could just you know hurt people?" Well, he well, we were talking before about the cruelty. You know, he like he literally has said that. Yeah, well, and you know, he he says demeaning things to and about women, and he he lo- talks about his great love and desire to have revenge on people. Um, we read that letter earlier where the guy basically is like, you're a humongous dick and you should stop it. I mean, he's been this way for a long time, but and, the, and that was in a football league. But the point about abuser logic is it doesn't help solve the problem to be nicer and to be more su- supportive and more to uh, no. adjust your tone. The solution is to arrest them and put them in prison. Yeah, well, uh, well, certainly remove them from a place where they can inflict further damage on their victims. Yeah, right. In this case, it would be to it would be to say we should impeach Trump. Um, that would be the most direct. Act. Although this First gets action. to, so I wanted to turn, if we could, to um, sort of on the impeach Trump Trump train. So. Over the last seven days, I've gone through a total roller coaster where I, I, for a period of time, I was I was feeling pretty confident that Trump was going to get impeached, and yeah. I was feeling that way because of all this Russia stuff about Felix Sater and 
what's the lawyer's name? Steve. Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen. That's his personal lawyer. Yeah. yeah, and about the secret Ukraine plan and, you know. Um, for for I those guess... listeners who don't know, Felix Sater is a fairly close business associate of Donald Trump, who Donald Trump has lied under oath and said that he would not recognize in person, despite that being pretty demonstrably untrue. But so, you know, over the weekend I was thinking, here we've got Trump seeming more and more connected or related his national security advisor was forced out because of Russia ties. Right. And his national security advisor who he selected and who was close to him and worked with him during the campaign. Um, you know, Trump has, there's all this evidence of him working, getting financial support from various Russian entities in his building projects. Um, Don Jr. Was it Don Jr. or Eric? Who's on the record as saying a lot of their financing comes from Russia. Don Jr. Yeah. That was back in 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, I was thinking, you know, I wasn't thinking about it. To me, he's clearly impeachable. Like, if if Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell wanted to impeach him, they'd find something. And But I was thinking about, politically, for them, this is not going great. Because what they want to do is take health care away from poor people and then yep. cut taxes for rich people. That's what they want to do. And it's not happening. And the government is looking like a total mess and... So I was thinking that if they were making those calculations, they might start thinking, you know what, we could do everything we want to do with President Pence, and it would be a lot smoother. And so, like and I said, it might was be, a, might be less danger of you know nuclear war. Yeah, and so it was a roller coaster because then, at the you know as we've gone through the beginning of this week, Pence is taking a more active role, appearing in, in various situations and giving sort of serious, normal speeches, and. Yeah. We've got um, the new national security advisors taking over and gaining widespread uh, approval. Well, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of the um, reaction, even on the left, is pretty positive. Yeah, no, there's been pretty strong bipartisan approval of the yeah. new NSA, General McMaster. And so this gets to that question we were talking about in our notes prior to the show. Is it better for things to be going really badly or is it better for things to stabilize with more qualified people in control? Yeah, of course the answer is complicated and I think it depends largely on external events. If some external stimulus happens, some crisis that requires strong, steady leadership... I think we're probably better off having adults like General Mattis and General McMaster and probably General Kelly at Homeland Security. We're probably better off having them running the military side of things than we would have been with Michael Flynn in charge because he, by all accounts, was a crazy person. Well, you're... Okay, so you've made me think of two things. You keep saying general... I don't love having all these generals in all these civilian positions. So I'm sort of watching that. But the other thing is all of this is this question of, is it better for things to sort of limp along at like a bad, but functional pace, or is it better for things to just keep completely flying off the rails? To me, this is exactly parallel to the heighten the contradictions question. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I don't know if it's, (laughs) I don't know if it's worth 
going into what the history of Heighten the Contradictions is, you know, the origin of that Heightening the Contradictions term. Um, I believe that was Marx. It was Marx. And I'm looking at a quote here. He, he talks about simplifying and sharpening the contradiction and hasten its resolution. And in his terms, that meant making things worse in order to emphasize to labor that it was important to have the communist revolution. And that that's like a really quick and dirty. Which I think it makes a lot of sense. It, well, and, and... the problem with it is I, when I was younger and I was a, a, a like a white male, I still am a white male, but when I was a younger white male and I, I, I think it was very easy to take the idea of heightening the contradictions and understand it as a sort of negotiating strategy or as a tactic for Mm -hmm. causing a certain change to come about and to ignore the costs, right? Because when you heighten the contradictions, the first part of that plan is for things to get worse. And when things get worse, they don't usually get worse equally, but they get more worse for people who are poor people who are you know who are worse off to begin with yeah people and you know in the in the context of the united states when things get worse it's typically black people other people of color uh like we were talking about people who are not you know non-cisgender non-heteronormative you know it falls harder on them and so there's something I, i i am extremely suspicious now of heightened the contradiction arguments especially if they're being made by white men from an upper yeah. socioeconomic status because I think it, it just shows me that they're... And so, to bring this back to the question we were discussing, I think it is better for things to be better. Yeah, I think particularly when, when you're playing with nuclear weapons, potentially. Yeah, I mean, that's just one part of it, but like... It, 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 the, the stakes are really high here. Uh, it, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of the damage, in terms of the cost of people's lives. Um... Now, of course, the stakes are also very high with keeping with keeping Trump in power, and I and I you know I, I do think that uh, there are some instances where um, where uh, bottoming out does make a certain amount of sense. For instance, you know that's it's a basic tenet of Alcoholics Anonymous twelve step programs. I think there's a case to be made that understanding that you are uh, addict who is fundamentally fundamentally helpless to fight your addiction is an important step in starting the process of getting better and um, so that's you, very different i want to i mean i want to understand what what that mean, what was that what does that mean in the context of our political situation right now very little because it it is the scales are so different. We're talking there, you know, in a 12-step program, you're talking about an individual person taking responsibility for themselves as opposed to a society uh, turning into Mad Max before it can get better. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure how, how much of a parallel you, you can draw. Well, I think, you know, this just reminds me, too, of the roller coaster I was on. I think I really want Trump to get impeached, but I also think it's important to... Um, Let's say that things continue to go really badly and they do impeach him. Um, actually, I do think that would be worth it. I think that would be substantially better. I've oh, seen yeah. a lot. It, it, a lot of people out there are saying, you know, then you would just get Pence. And I'm sympathetic to that because he's also disastrous. I, but he would be less disastrous. He would be disastrous in a different, more predictable way. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a sort of politician that we fundamentally understand. I think. I think that's true. I mean, it remains a real tragedy that the are that the Republicans won this presidential election, and a lot of the terrible, cruel policies that we were talking about are going to get enacted. You know. If Trump well, decided that, that, to resign tomorrow, we would still yeah. see all of the policies getting enacted, or which is too bad. Most of them. I mean, I, I think one one area that's been a big surprise, and this probably bears a longer discussion, is the pushback on Obamacare repeal. Yeah, well, so um, I think that's a really good point, and we are at a, a good uh, timestamp to uh, make a turn. Yeah, I think so. So uh, there, are, there are actually a few good things that happened this week that I, I wanted to mention. Well, so are we going to let's explicitly say this? And how are you staying sane? We should have John record that trademark. We should have John record that. So if he's not here, we can, yeah, we we should. can just insert it. Or we should make it sound more natural than that. I should be like, I should be like, wow. Yeah, that's some heavy stuff. How are you staying sane given all yeah. that? So, that, so there were a few... Thanks for asking, Mike. No problem. There, there were a few things this week that helped keep me sane. T- what were some of those things? <laughs> so in addition to the NASA news, um, there, federal judge Sam Sparks uh, oh, yeah. in, in Texas blocked defunding of Planned Parenthood, which the state of Texas is really upset about. So that made me happy. Um, he said that they really did not have any evidence... Um, to uh, to back up the the harm that defunding Planned Parenthood would do. You know, it, it was nice that this happened in in Texas, which we think of as a very conservative state. And Sam Sparks was a George H. W. Bush appointee, so he, you know, a Republican appointee. Um, so we had another big federal uh, court case this week as well, which was that the uh, federal appeals court in Virginia upheld a Maryland law that banned AR-15 and other military M16-style assault rifles and the the extended magazines which have, you know, 10, 12 bullets in them. This is a and gun control thing. This was a gun control yeah. issue. Um, and, and after Newtown and a, a bunch of the other horrible um, shootings that happened, Maryland passed this law and the NRA and Second Amendment advocates went nuts and uh, sued and the appeals court found that the the law was not only legal but they reversed a the district court opinion um, and actually found that the second amendment did not protect the right or did not confer a right to have military weapons and extended magazines so do you think that's heading for the supreme court potentially I think it definitely could. I mean, this was not a ruling that affected anything nationally. It was specifically about this law in Maryland. Um, but I think there's a, a, a strong chance that it could get appealed. And at this point, the only place it could get appealed to would be the Supreme Court. Um, so I, I enjoyed those two court decisions. Um, and I think in particular, the binding that the Second Amendment does not confer the right to walk around with assault rifles, at least in the state of Maryland, seems like a good thing. Sorry to all of our assault rifle-toting listeners. 
I think I kind of have a learned helplessness with the gun one because after Sandy Hook, I was like, if we you, can't you do gun control gun. now, well, like we can't. It's impossible, you know. Right. Like I mean, killing children. Is, I know because there's there usually is a line. Um, we saw this, in fact, this week with Milo Yiannopoulos, Ugh. the horrible British provocateur from Breitbart, who uh, saw his career at least for the moment, go down in flames because he repeatedly said that he was in favor of um, of man-boy relationships, um, essentially condoning pedophilia, which apparently was too much even for, uh, for, for CPAC. Are we still in the phase where we're listing things that we like... Or- um, am I like? Am I allowed, one more? Am I allowed to I had, I did have one more. <laughs> well, I, I I liked this. I, I liked Milo uh, Yiannopoulos, or as I prefer to refer to him, Yolo Minneapolis. I feel like I do this a lot, where like there'll be some small good thing that someone just wants to express, and I'll be like, "Well, <laughs> yeah. that's true, but there's actually a horrible, <laughs> much worse facet of this that totally takes and, away from." And you are not wrong yeah um, and there, well but in his case like it wasn't enough for him to be a rancid islamophobe or you know right. to be sexist racist monstrous and all those ways that was all fine you know so it, i think it, it really had to get down to raping children yeah we've we've learned that conservatives will tolerate everything except for gay men raping bo- young boys and like, right. if that's the only line that that community has, I mean, I'll just leave that at that. I think that speaks for itself. It does. And apparently shooting young children does not cross that line. Well, there could be a bear, remember. That's true. Or um, it might not have happened at all. It might have been a false flag operation. <laughs> Oh my God! You're not even—you don't even mean to do this to me. But you've heard—you saw the thing about how Trump and Alex Jones talk on the phone, right? So what, what Mike is referring to is that Alex Jones of uh, Infowars is basically an unofficial advisor to the president now, and he's the guy who believes that Sandy Hook was a false flag. One of the many things he believes <laughs> was a false flag, but yeah, that's probably the the grossest of them. He actually believes that those were actors. Well, and like those kids are are dead. I mean, it, there's something so disrespectful and and disconnected from reality. You know, these are children died, and uh, about twenty twenty plus of them. That's shot, all shot multiple times. Yeah, More than and so fifty bullets were fired. I think it. I don't know. It it, it just makes me. I don't know how to respond to people who who can't look at that and understand it and consider solutions we could try to prevent that from happening again, but who instead turn to conspiracy theorizing. Or the potential danger of grizzly bears. Yeah. Which is perhaps... No, but this is what I'm saying. Aren't we in this sanity? Like, this is how we're staying sane? Well, I was saying that I, I still enjoyed YOLO Minneapolis... You know, getting a little taste of his own medicine. I guess. Typically, they they don't stay down. Like, no, I don't think he will. I don't think he will. Uh, the last thing that I uh, have been enjoying this week is that we're, we've come into the one week recess that Congress takes. Oh yeah. And traditionally, 
the members of Congress, um, particularly the House members, hold town hall meetings, and these tend to be very small and sleepy affairs. Um, the exception in the past was in 2009, during the height of the Affordable Care Act being passed. The Tea Party movement really showed up at at these uh, town hall meetings, and we're, we're sort of seeing a, a left-wing analog to that. Well, hey, hold now. on. You have to give credit. This was... All of this originally goes back to the Social Security, the plan that W introduced to take away Social Security. It was us. We were the ones who first confronted people in their town halls. So that was and the Tea Party was copying us. Two thousand five. Yeah. So, you know, respect the left there. Anyway, but this has been happening uh, on a much smaller scale, mostly because Republican congressmen have been and, and women have been canceling their town halls in order to avoid it. But the, uh, the few who have held, held town halls, uh, most notably uh, Jason Chaffetz a couple weeks ago, and uh, this week Mark Sanford, who actually, I'll give him credit, he, he didn't seem too bothered by it and actually stood there and answered questions. Um, I mean, I feel like any decent politician should be able to handle that situation, although many yeah. of them have been canceling or running away or doing t- doing like tele town Mitch McConnell, halls my my erstwhile senator pat toomey has been completely unreachable for the last um month or so there there have been a number of amusing anecdotes of people going into markets and convenience stores and putting stickers um uh, of their congressperson on onto milk boxes with their picture and the word missing um, and so on, and, and th- this is both amusing, but I, I do find it heartening in terms of the the engagement. And what's been interesting to me to go back to what we were talking about before is that a large, large portion of this has revolved around the potential repeal of Obamacare. And I, I think it's become pretty evident that there are certain elements of Obamacare that clearly most Republican voters don't even necessarily realize are part of it. Um, well, there's a reason but, we passed the law in the first place. Right. There were these horrible problems. Yeah. Uh, but th- that are undeniably extremely popular. Uh, oh, yeah. The no pre-existing condition thing? That, that's the biggest one. Um, the, the moving uh, to age 26, yep. where children are allowed to stay on their parents' insurance, is extremely popular. About putting a cap on lifetime expenditures that people have to pay out. Um, is extremely popular, and I don't I don't see how there is really pretty much any way that the Republicans can remove those in in a way that would not have enormous political repercussions for them. Well, this is a bad fit for the "How are we staying sane?" portion, but um, th- there's been this trend. So you're talking about people showing up at town halls. And Donald Trump tweeted about this. And so regarding people coming to town halls, Donald Trump tweets, The so-called angry crowds in home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists. Sad. And there's a lot to unpack there. Well, the first response, or at least my first response is, that's really stupid because of course they are like. That's what activism is. But I think underneath that, you're starting to see it kind of peek out that 
this idea that people who disagree with them are not legitimate. Well, he's also said that these people are not important because Republican Congress people only represent their Republican constituents. Yeah, there's that. And there's uh, the idea of the paid protesters. um, Which, for the record, is not true. Well, right. But (laughs) this is the part that's not suitable for sanity (laughs) phase. There is a path that they're going down. Well, there's a, there's a lot of things on the gradient from canceling elections, like uh, voter suppression, right? Yes. So if you and knew, clearly is happening. if you knew, for example, that Jefferson Beauregard Sessions was going to make it impossible for anyone who isn't a white male property owner <laughs> to vote, um, then you would feel much more free to ignore these town halls. That is true. But what we have to hope is that these districts have not been gerrymandered so badly that, that, yeah. that there are still enough enough progressive and moderate voters there who are angry enough at what they're seeing that in the upcoming elections, should they take place, that, that, yeah. we, can, that we can win some of those seats back. Well, and a lot of... I mean... I do think that those town halls are a great reason for hope and optimism because it is the system fundamentally working the way it is supposed to. Um, and it's, and it, it's certainly a lot of people getting engaged. Yeah, and which is another really good thing. You know, one of the big concerns I saw expressed about the Women's March was, you know, great, all these people have come out today. That's wonderful. But, where you know, will they keep working next week? Will they keep working next month? And so far... It seems that they that we that you know the progressive whatever we're going to call this left wing alliance against creeping fascism has continued to be effective and to organize and to get people out into the you know out into their communities working for change. Yeah. But I want to ask you before we finish the episode. Yeah. Are you looking forward to watching CPAC? Oh, I'm going to be glued to my television. <laughs> Is it on television? I don't even know. Oh, actually. God, I'm sure it, it's on, it on Fox YouTube? News. That's true. It'll be on Fox News. Well, I mean, I, there's actually a somewhat interesting discussion to be had there um, because the CPAC, certainly the keynote speakers, the high-profile speakers, it's just the Trump administration. Um, there are people who are trying to make the argument that the conservative movement exists separately from Donald Trump. Oh yeah, we're going to be seeing the the Trump capture meter. Like we'll we'll be able to figure out to what right. extent the entire I conservative think it's, it's party. Very, it's very difficult to make that argument when the conference that most epitomizes mm-hmm. the conservative movement is has basically thrown itself over entirely to the Trump administration, and literally its keynote speaker was going to be. Yolo Minneapolis. Well, and Bannon t- and Reince are going to speak. They're going to together. Yeah, they're going to and Trump. Gonna, so I mean, yeah, this is. Speak. I think Mike they're. Fu- I'm not even sure. I think even calling it capture is letting them get away with too much, because I, I think yeah, he's I think a natural willing, development of the concern. very willing participants. Yeah, yeah. I don't. There's not that much different. They've been monstrous, racist, sexist for for a long time. Yeah, and I think that one thing, and I mean, it's still, it's good that Donald Trump's approval ratings are as low as they are. Uh, I don't think it's yeah. getting around that. But I think that 
uh, one thing that hasn't been mentioned enough is he's you know he's been hovering around 38, 39, 40 percent. It's not all that different from his vote share. And if you look at his approval rating among Republicans, it's at about 90 percent. And yeah. um, while his overall popularity ratings, approval ratings are lowest in the history of modern polling, which started, I think, in the Eisenhower administration. For a if president look, at this stage, right? At this stage. For his, W, they would go on to yes. go lower than this. Certainly. Um, and I believe Jimmy Carter also went lower. Um, but but his approval rating in his own, among self-identified members of his own party, is actually very, very high. It's It's much higher than, for instance, George W. Bush's was. Um, prior to 9/11, anyway, um, and which is it's it's a disturbing, to say the least. Which is which is to say that all of the things that we've watched him do, that we take as it, things being a huge mess, uh, we laugh when he says that he's been incredibly productive and so on. Uh, but the people who support him, uh, I, I don't think they really agree with us. No, I mean, it, it's not a new observation that the polarization is getting much worse all the time. No, I think that is simply... Wait, but we're in the sanity retention phase. I mean, the counter, sort of the hope might be that you'd see some splintering, right? That you'd see an incomplete takeover. Um, I thought it would be fun to wrap up by going back to the planets thing that you observed about. Yeah, well, that because that... That really is not too political, and is a. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I agree we with. We can that. politicize almost anything. <laughs> well, but yeah. I, I, I want so I thought I, it would be fun to read. I, I pulled up the New York Times story on this, and um, I'm going to read a little bit of it just to set set up the situation, and then we can talk about it a little bit. Um, so this was from today. Uh, not just one, but seven Earth-sized planets that could potentially harbor life have been identified orbiting a tiny star not too far away, offering the first realistic opportunity to search for signs of alien life outside the solar system. The planets orbit a dwarf star named TRAPPIST-1, about 40 light-years or 235 trillion miles from Earth. That is quite close in cosmic terms, and by happy accident, the orientation of the orbits of the seven planets allows them to be studied in great detail. One or more of the exoplanets in this new system could be at the right temperature to be awash in oceans of water, astronomers said, based on the distance of the planets from the dwarf star. This is the first time so many planets of this kind are found around the same star, Michael Gillen, an astronomer at the University of Liège in Belgium and the leader of an international team that has been observing TRAPPIST-1, said during a telephone news conference. I'll stop there, but... um. You know, this is this is really exciting, you know, to find Goldilocks planets. No, it's true. And you'll, you'll note that the, the star system is named TRAPPIST because it was discovered by these Belgian scientists. Mm-hmm. And if there's, there's nothing that Belgian scientists and other Belgians love more than Belgian beer. Well, and it's named after... Which are, which are made at, by TRAPPIST yeah, monks. Yeah, TRAPPIST monks. And so you mentioned this not being political. And I think the non-political part of it is it... It gives us another really great, fascinating detail about the universe, and it opens the door to a lot of really interesting questions, the possibility of there being life that exists in another star system. Um, 
I don't know. I want to. I wanted to ask you about what you thought was the most exciting part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just to give a little context to people who are listening. Um, this is about thirty-nine or, or forty light years away, which uh, is still very far. But the, um, the the Milky Way galaxy, which is only one galaxy among the almost endless or possibly actually endless universe is about a thousand light years in radius, I believe. I can look it up. I think the Milky Way is 10,000 light years. I, I may have been off by a, a, an order of magnitude there. Um, but it, it's really not very far away. It's And it's close enough that with uh, telescopes that we currently have or telescopes that we're going to be launching into space within the next year or so, we should be able to analyze certain aspects of the atmospheric content of these planets and that will give us an unbelievably cool amount of information about whether there possibly could be life we can already make some educated guesses based on the proximity of the planets to the dwarf uh, star and the way that the planets are orbiting um and the density of and mass of the planets in terms of what kind of gravity the planets might have and what sort of temperatures they might be facing. And there are a whole bunch of planets in there that could have really close to Earth gravity and quite close to Earth temperatures. And that is, that is really important to supporting life. Well, the temperature in particular, or so we think. I mean, uh, at least in, we're in at the beginning of any knowledge about all this. But yes, I mean. Earth-like planets, as far as we know, are your best bet for supporting life. The Milky Way is... We only know one planet with life. The Milky Way is 100,000 light years across. So I was off by two orders of magnitude. And I was off by so, one. So, But that, again, shows you that this is really quite close. The other thing and, I love about this yeah. is, you know, we're at the very beginning of cataloging nearby star systems. And to find seven Earth-like... That are this close. And, and some in the Goldilocks zone... It really suggests that there are a lot of planets out there. Yeah, we we may have really underestimated how many Earth-like planets are f- floating around out there. Yeah, and so that's all really some, exciting. Or some interviews with uh, with some of the NASA scientists who are involved in this today, who said that they have telescopes in development now which should be launched into space in the 2020s or 2030s, which could actually potentially optically visualize these planets. Well, and we're getting the James Webb Telescope in 2018. Yeah, they were were talking specifically about the James Webb Telescope um, being really important for uh, figuring out some of that atmospheric information, but it will not be powerful enough to actually visualize uh, the planets optically. And so I think, so, you know, earlier you mentioned how this was non-political and there are a lot of really great non-political things about it, but to me, there are political components of this. Um, when you think about how our civilization is doing right now and to what extent we will be able to continue to learn more about this these planets continue to look for other planets to consider possibilities for exploration um you know all of those decisions 
t- will be taking place in the context of whatever happens over the next four or eight or you know however many years. In many ways, I feel like we're at a threshold of some really great technological advances. There's fusion reactor research going on in Europe. There's continuing developments in solar energy. Um, you know, there's these great exoplanet discoveries and SpaceX, like we talked about earlier, with the reusable boosters is lowering the cost of getting stuff to orbit. Um, and there's, you know, dozens more examples of things like that. And I feel like there is a future that is imaginable and that is in reach where we can continue to do this research and continue to make these developments and improve life for people. And I feel like we just, with the election of Trump and with other things that happened, you know, with Brexit, we're instead turning towards a future that is more concerned with fighting over scraps on earth rather than trying to develop these lines of research and inquiry more. Yeah, no, I th- I think that is a, a a very fair concern. And you know, Bannon really likes to talk about countries as nation states, and and use that that sort of vernacular. And you know, I think that he and a lot of what we're seeing in Europe is a reversion to a sort of geopolitical state that existed almost prior to World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was extremely populist, autocratic nation states uh, in a sort of perpetual state of conflict, and and then we had these two horrible world wars, and that sort of forced humankind—not all of it, but a, a large portion of it—into a new paradigm, and we had a sort of a golden generation of progress technologically and economically, and uh, I, you know I really hope that that is not all going to be unraveled not a very upbeat ending so on that note thanks very much for listening if you like what you're hearing you can subscribe at iTunes Google Play or at our website sanitycheckpod.com and until next time keep resisting and persisting